Well, I have been preaching something. Uh, the Holy Spirit dropped something into my heart in a big way a couple months ago. And I have been preaching on it uh, everywhere I've gone pretty much since then, a lot of, and even under the tent a lot. Certain concept in my heart. And uh, I thought I understood. I thought I understood what it was. And then I met a girl, we were, I was talking to a young woman outside the tent one night, and she explained it to me better than I could have. She explained it to me in a way I actually got it. I understood. And what I believed about this concept is still true, but man, she gave me layers more insight. And um, so I'm going to start out talking about that tonight. So um, the concept is this. Well, no, I'm going to tell that later. Anyway, I'm just talking to this young woman, and she said she'd only been saved a f short time. I don't remember how long it was, not very long. She was a fairly young woman. She was a millennial, identified herself as a millennial. And, um, you know, when I went to Germany as a young missionary, uh, my great passion was to get to understand the German people. When you go as a missionary, you want to understand the heart of the people you're trying to convey the words of eternal life to. And now I speak a lot on college campuses, so I speak to a lot of millennials. I speak to the younger generations. And I want to understand them just as well. I want to make the effort. But here's what she said. She said she'd only been saved a short time, and she said, before that, my life was a black abyss. And Becky and I have heard so, I don't know, we just hear that generation, they say almost those exact words to us. Not that long ago, we were at Texas State and Texas A&M, and kids said to us over and over, oh yeah, I don't have any hope, there's no hope. My life is a black, slimy swamp. Did you think like that when you were 19 or 20? Man, even before I got saved, about close to my 18th birthday, before even when I was a, a lost sinner, I was still pretty happy-go-lucky. You know, you're young, the world's before you, but this generation doesn't think like that. And so she said, my life was a black, slimy abyss. And she said, most people don't understand the millennials. They don't understand why we're so hopeless. They don't understand... Why we're so depressed. They don't understand what drives the immorality in the millennial generation. I said, explain it to me. And this is what she said to me. They don't believe in love. I said, explain that to me. She said, for the millennial generation, and I know this from preaching on college campuses because they tell me the same thing. I've been on college campuses preaching to a pretty large crowd sometime. And the minute I mention my wife or marriage, they all boo. It's a horrible thing to them. Marriage, oh, boo. You know, that's slavery for the wife. So the things that were baseline, so normal for most of us, they don't think the same way, many of them. And I said to her, why don't they believe in love? And she said, oh, in their mind, the worst thing that could ever happen is to get married and have children. They're terrified of getting married and having children. And I'm not saying all, but a lot. She was said, I said, why is that so terrifying? Because it'll all just get ripped away, she said, in divorce. 
And I think for the first time, she said, that's what they watch their parents do. They don't want any part of that. So what we would consider hopes and dreams are not the same for the millennial generation as us. And I think, I mean, I understood to some degree what she was saying, the hopelessness, but I had never realized that element of it. And the concept that God dropped in my heart, you know, I started out as a young missionary. That's the world's most atheistic continent. And if you know, you don't, you think, well, atheism, that's cool, that's trendy, man, that's all. Atheism is absolutely 100% hopeless. Atheists will often chide me while I'm preaching in the free speech zone. Look at you out here making these promises to these people. And they challenge me and they say, I had a, I had a, I had a, a brother or a cousin and they had a two-year-old child and they died. They died of cancer. As if now, oh, the Christian is suddenly put on the uh, defensive by that concept. You know what, Mr. Atheist? I can preach that two-year-old's funeral and I can look his parents in the eye and say, you will see your child again. Mr. Atheist, what is your hope? What can you offer? It is one, they cannot offer any hope. Put the ball back in their court if they challenge you. Say, I I have eternal life. That two-year-old will be in heaven with God and you can see that, you can see your loved one again. Do you have any? No, of course not. That's why it's a black, slimy abyss. So we've secularized in, in, in Europe. The continent's been almost totally secularized. That means without God. And America's on the same path. And uh, you, you think, well, America's not secularized. You, you just can't imagine how secularized it's become. Oh, but people believe in God. They do not. When you talk to people, oh, they may say, I believe in God, but they do not believe in God. Not a real God, not the God of Scripture. They absolutely, only 4% of Americans really believe in the God of Scripture. And I'm going to get into that in a minute, but how many of you heard of the Beatles? Okay, when, the Beatles, when Paul McCartney was 16 years old, he wrote a song. And he had that song all those years, and then even after he was in the Beatles and they were going strong, he just didn't feel like that song was quite good enough. You getting nervous, darling? My wife gets nervous. She thinks I'm going to sing in church, so <laughs> I might. I don't know. I got no shame. I'm a fool for Christ. So Paul McCartney, he didn't think that song was good enough for the Beatles. So he didn't suggest they record it. Now he had a girlfriend at the time, and her name was Jane Asher. And uh, Jane Asher had a little brother who had just started a band, and that band got a record contract. And so Peter Asher asked Paul McCartney, can I have that song? Can, will you let me record that song? And Paul McCartney said, yeah, we don't want it. You can have it. And so uh, a group named Peter and Gordon, 1964, had a song called, I Won't Stay in a World Without Love. Any of you remember that? I Won't Stay in a World Without Love. Anybody? Look at her. <laughs> I preach open air. 
street corners all over America, she's cool with it. But if I sing in church, that really just... Anyway, how many of you remember the song? I won't stay in a world without love. And I'm telling you now for two generations, now two, three generations, we are asking our young people to live in a world without love. They don't believe in love and marriage because they believe it'll just get ripped away. They've been secularized to the point where they don't mostly believe in God. Folks, God is love. God is the source of all love. And so we've asked people to live in a world without love and stay in a world without love. And if you listen to that song on YouTube, you will understand it's totally depressing. It's, it's absolutely, it's like shut the door, don't let the light in, I don't want to go outside, I live in a, I'll just be here with my loneliness and stay in a world without love. It's complete depression, a black abyss, no hope. Hope is hard to find these days, amen? Hope is hard to find when you look, I mean real hope. Uh, I don't know the current polls, but I saw one just this last week. Huge percentage of Americans believe our nation is just going over a cliff and that our best days are behind us and there's no hope. Hope is hard to find. Now, hope is, hope is even, let me say this. I don't know if you know this. How much the Christian church is losing its influence on America. George Barna, who is probably the best pollster there is at understanding and having his pulse on the American spiritual uh, temperament and climate, he just released a 2023 report a few months ago. 15 million fewer people going to church in America than just three years ago. 15 million lost sheep have gone out the back door. And, they, and if you read Ezekiel 34, God said they'd be torn up by all the predators because they're out there all by themselves. 15 million fewer people in church than just three years ago. But here's the side. That, you know, that's incredibly sad to me. And Becky and I go door to door. Uh, we go witness on college campuses. We go everywhere we can. And we tell lost people outside the walls of the church about Jesus. So those things are not that shocking for me. But what is shocking is what's going on inside the church. George Barna found out that 45% of people sitting in evangelical churches. If you know what evangelical is, those are the people who used to believe the Bible. A lot of the mainline denominations have long since not believed in the Bible, but evangelicals believe the Bible. Not anymore. 45% of those sitting in evangelical churches don't believe they're sinners and that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Wow. That is so scary. In other words, they can sit and hear the preacher week after week after week, and yet they won't believe. I can't imagine what that's going to be like on Judgment Day. when you Because Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And to harden your heart to the extent that you won't believe. Almost half don't believe that Jesus that they are a sinner and that Jesus is the save, the only Savior. Over half, over half, this is more than half, 55% of people who sit in an evangelical church now believe that Jesus was a sinner 
just like the rest of us. Now, I don't, I don't know that if, you're a theolo- if you're a theologian, but if Jesus is a sinner, it's all over, folks. He was the spotless lamb who died on the cross for our sins. And if you think he was a sinner, you say, well, how can people think like that? The culture seeped into their mind. So I'm going to say this one thing. Ephesians chapter 2, it's not going to come up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2 says that people are without hope and without God in the world. If, If you are not vitally connected to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are hopeless. You are beyond all hope. He is the only hope. Amen? So now I want to preach a message tonight. We're not the only ones who have ever felt that way. Israel went completely over the cliff. And Israel, the nation was completely lost, taken over by uh, another nation and hauled off into captivity. And when this happened in the Old Testament, this is what Israel said. Israel said, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. Well, tonight I'm going to do my best to stir up some hope inside of you. And hopefully it's contagious. Amen. Amen. And you spread it to everybody you can. I remember during COVID, they talked about super spreaders. I want you to be a super spreader. You need to have the hope of all hopes and you need to be a super spreader. You need to be contagious. That's what I want to talk about tonight. So when that happened to Israel, God called a prophet named Ezekiel. Remember Ezekiel's words. Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We see no hope for restoration. We see nothing in the future to lay our hope on. There's just nothing there. We are hopeless. And God called a preacher, I mean, God called a prophet named Ezekiel. And one day God took this prophet and the Bible says he set him in the middle of a huge valley. And when Ezekiel opened his eyes in the middle of this huge valley, the sight that he saw must have been the most ghastly, startling, overwhelming thing anybody could ever see. Ezekiel was in the middle of a valley from one end to the other full of dead, dry human bones. Use your imagination what that would be like. Macabre, horror. When you are in a... I'm sure that Ezekiel's instinct, he's surrounded by skulls and femurs and leg bones and rib cages as far as he can see, just piles of death. Could you get more hopeless? And Ezekiel's in the middle of this valley full of dead, dry bones. I just can't imagine how overwhelming that was. I think every instinct you would have would be, run, get out of this valley. But the Bible says God led him. Ezekiel, I want you to walk around to and fro. I want you to walk around and look and observe these bones. Ezekiel is just looking. And Ezekiel noted two things. This is all found in Ezekiel 37, by the way. Ezekiel noted two things. He noticed the number, vast death 
in every direction. He just saw so many had been slain and left to lay there until, and this is the second thing he said, how dry, how dry these bones were. These bones had been so dead and laid there so long that they were just chalky and dry, almost dry rotting to where if you touched one of them, it would just crumble. So Ezekiel saw death on a scale that would blow your mind. And he was right in the middle of that valley. And that's what he saw. I don't know about you, but I'm old. If you're old enough, if you're old enough, you know what a gut punch death is. I remember watching my mom die. I remember watching my 40-year-old little sister die. One minute they're there, the next they're gone. I can't see them. I can't talk. They're gone. Death is a gut punch. And Ezekiel saw death on a scale that would blow our minds. Then the most amazing thing happened. Then the Spirit of God asked him an amazing question. Ezekiel 37, 4 and 5. Son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel didn't just say, sure, yeah. <laughs> Think about it, folks. He's in a valley of chalky dead bones as far. And God asked him, can these bones live, Ezekiel? Ezekiel didn't commit. Ezekiel said, you know, sovereign Lord. In other words, I don't know one way or another, but you know if they can live. And then this is what happened next. God began a conversation with Ezekiel that could only be interpreted as a resounding yes. And verses 4 through 6, this is what we read. The startled prophet listened, and this is what God said. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Amen. So, Think about it. Ezekiel is as human as me and you. He's just like me and you. He's just a person. And he's standing there and God said, that's what I want you to do, Ezekiel. Now you think, well, that wouldn't be a big deal. Well, you go to a funeral home. And you walk in there and you start prophesying to all the corpses. If you're a big stuff. I'm sure Ezekiel was pretty overwhelmed. But he was emboldened by the challenge of God. And this is what the Bible says. He did what he was told. To, he prophesied to the brittle, dry bones. And remarkably, when Ezekiel prophesied and said, Hear the word of the Lord, dry bones live! All of a sudden, the Bible says Ezekiel began to hear a sound. He heard the sound of rattling bones coming together. All the, all the skulls and femurs and rib cages and foot bones and, and, and carpals and all the, all the small bones, all of them started coming together and turning back into total skeletons. He heard the sound of rattling bones. Folks, listen to me. There is a lot of reason to be uh, concerned about our nation. There are a lot of people who are hopeless, but I'm here to tell you tonight, I hear the sound of rattling bones. Amen. Yes. 
Amen. Yes, clap, clap, clap for Jesus. I don't know how aware you are, but of course you, you probably heard about that thing, the things going on at the Christian colleges and kids coming together and worshiping for days and days and hours and weeks. That was a great sign, but for me as an evangelist, it's like, come on. So people got to get saved or it's not an awakening. Did you know, evangelists, you know, how many of you heard of the Jesus Revolution movie? How many of you saw the Jesus Revolution movie? Those of you who have it, see it. Jesus Revolution. Greg Laurie did crusades over the last month. And Greg Laurie started baptizing people in the Pacific Ocean. And over a very short period of time, he baptized almost eight or 9,000 people. Four, I think it was 4,100 uh, in one time, and then a few weeks later, over 4,500 people were baptized. And here's what I can't... Here's the part that's hard to explain. You're not going to see it on the evening news. CNN's not going to report it. It's not going to be known. It's not something you can see that palpably yet. But there is an undercurrent of change in the United States of America. There is an undercurrent that's flowing just below the surface. And I believe with everything inside of me, it is the sound of the first drops of an awakening. Dry bones can live. Dead spiritual nations can live again. And so, I don't know if you know about this, but uh, evangelist uh, Mario Marilla has been doing tent crusades over the last couple of years. And one after another, he has to get rid of one tent and get a new one. He just bought one of the biggest tents ever made in the United States of America. And he put it up this last weekend in Colorado Springs. And they are going day and night. Becky and I have been watching some of the services on YouTube. Thousands of people are attending these tent crusades. And he has seen hardened gang members saved, lots of people getting saved. God, I believe, is moving. It's not super widespread yet, but I hear the sound of bones rattling and coming together. But strangely enough, the bones came together and God put sinew on them. He put ligaments and tendons and he covered them with skin. He, he did what Ezekiel prophesied, but they were still just laying there, dead corpses. Vastly improved from what they were, but still dead. The miracle was not incomplete. I mean, the miracle was incomplete. Folks, I believe as God's people, we must persevere. Amen. We must persevere in prayer. We must persevere in spreading the gospel. And, and I really forgot to do this, but this is the most important point. This is what he said. Ezekiel, prophesy to the dead bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Dead bones, dead spiritual people must hear the word of the Lord. And they are going to hear it from us, Amen. God's people. Amen. They're not going to tune into the daytime talk shows and hear the Word of God. We are the ones who speak the Word of God. So the miracle was yet incomplete. They were laying there dead and motionless. And then in verse 9, God said, 
Prophesy to the breath, he said. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slains that they may live. And again, the prophet complied and did as he was told. And the corpses began to stir, and they stood an exceeding great army. Now, I don't know how long this whole thing took place. The Bible doesn't tell us. I don't get the feeling at all that a lot of time was passing. It wasn't months or weeks or days. I think it was a matter of uh, less than an hour probably, but I don't know that, but it was a short period of time as you read it. Ezekiel was standing in a valley full of dead, chalky, dry bones, and within a matter of a few minutes, he prophesied and spoke the word of God, and all of a sudden, those bones, can you see the bones coming together? Can you see God covering them with skin and flesh? And can you see those bones that were laying in piles all of a sudden start moving around and stand up? And not just were they alive, the Bible says they were an exceeding great army. I believe God is raising up an army to gather a great harvest. You know, when I pray every day, I I know that the Bible says that in the last days there'll be a great falling away. That's in Thessalonians. I know that. But I believe there's something more. I believe from James, the Bible says that God is waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting for something before Jesus comes. What's he waiting for? The Bible says he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting for souls to get saved. And you see, we can have a falling away and a great revival at the same time. How could that be? Just a big squishy middle disappears. I mean, you can have thousands falling away like is happening right now in the American church, not believing the gospel, and at the same time, God can sweep across this land and people will get saved. The big squishy middle of who knows what if they believe, they're not sure, that'll disappear. But I'm believing for a true latter rain harvest. I'm believing for the precious fruit of the earth. Amen. We need to be ready for harvest. Amen. Amen. Grace Church, are you ready for harvest? Are you ready to prophesy to the dead bones? Are you ready to speak breath into them? An exceeding great army standing before Ezekiel. So in other words, they're not just living people. They're an army. They're ready to go do battle for God. Can you imagine the wide-eyed prophet? (laughs) Remember, he's just a human being. And this is what the Bible says in verse 11. Ezekiel didn't know why all this had happened. He's just marveling. And God explained it to him in verse 11. These bones are the whole house of Israel who had said, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. God was saying to Ezekiel, Israel thinks there's no hope. Ezekiel, I mean, uh, Israel thinks there's no hope, there's no future. But I'm telling you, I am the Lord God. There's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing too hard for God and when you pray and when you believe and when you pray for your relatives and when you witness to your relatives. There is nothing too hard for God. Amen. The God that we pray to, the God that we believe in, the God that we pray to, there is nothing too hard for Him. He can make dry bones live. Becky was hit me in the ribs as we sang the song. Dry bones. 
back to life. Amen? Amen. He can bring them back to, back to life. Oh, believers, get your hopes up. You've got to have hope to have faith. Hebrews, 1, Hebrews 11 1 says that. You've got to have hope to have faith. And God is the God of all hope. So after Ezekiel witnessed this whole thing, I'm going to just read verse 12. It says, Therefore, we just read 11. He's telling them why he did it, to show Israel that there was hope. He says, Therefore prophesy to them and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. What I'm trying to get across to you tonight is this, folks. Only God can do this. Only God can turn death into life. And you know, I want you to think about this. What you, what you may say, well, this is a really strange, obscure, odd Old Testament story. I don't know. It's a little unusual, I admit. But I want you to know it's not some obscure, obscure, strange thing. This, my brothers and sisters, is the very heartbeat of all of Christianity. Jesus died on a cross. He hung there and poured out his blood and poured out his life, paying our death sentence. And the Bible says after he had bled and died, and right as he was dying, he said, It is finished. Jesus bought our forgiveness, our redemption. Jesus paid for it all. And then the, the most unimaginable thing could happen. Jesus died. He went into a grave. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. It sounds horrible to say, but he became a corpse. But how many of you know on the third day something happened? Jesus Christ came back from the dead. And the Apostle Paul basically said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus is not, if Jesus is not risen, there is no hope. The heartbeat of all Christianity is about resurrection. Amen. Yes. Ezekiel looked and saw, I don't know, probably thousands of people raised from the dead. I got news for you. There is a resurrection coming someday that will dwarf the scale of Ezekiel's vision. The Bible says that all who are in their graves will come back to life. That will be the final resurrection. Can you imagine people coming out of their graves? That is Christianity. Now, I don't know. You know, do you realize everybody's going to heaven? Oh, no. Ken's gone over the deep. He's talking about universalism. Oh, everybody's going to heaven. The Bible says the wicked and the righteous will be will come out of the graves and they'll stand before God. They're all going to heaven to stand before God. But everybody doesn't get to stay. The Bible says that those who have persevered in righteousness will be resurrected to life in paradise with Jesus Christ. But to those who have hardened their heart, the Bible says they will be resurrected to eternal death in hell. The the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus is the most wonderful thing in the world. If Jesus rose from the dead, 
then I'm going to rise from the dead. You're going to rise from the dead. That is the most astonishing thing, but think about it. That is, you know the biggest, baddest, meanest, awfulest enemy on this planet? The Bible says it's death. And we are going to live again. Amen. Now, either. Now, something really weird happened to me over the years. I went, just an eye blink ago, I was a teenager. And then everybody was older than me. And then I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the way, I got old. I got older. I'm now 61 years old. I can scarcely believe that. It's like, I don't know, it's like my life was a vapor. But I don't care because I have the most amazing gift of all. I have eternal life. That's the heartbeat of all Christianity. Eternal life with Jesus Christ. You know, I don't think most people, I don't think most people have that hope. I'm talking about a living hope. Living hope. What do I mean by that? Every day you get up, you're, you're alive with hope. You're alive with hope. And everywhere you go, you are contagious. Now really, the, the word hope, I mean the word life is zoe. And we got Zoe life pulsating through our being. And everywhere we should go, everywhere we go, we have that abundant life. And we should just, you know, it's the overflow. We should just overflow on everybody. Amen. Only the God of the Bible could give people that kind of hope. Right. And I am absolutely convinced that God is getting ready to move. I, I'm, I'm not a prophet. I don't have those sorts of gifts at all. I just believe I hear the sound of rattling bones. That's all I'm saying. I hear rattling bones all of a sudden in this nation again. But I, I look to a God. I believe in a God who can speak. Now, now, a couple points though before I close tonight. A couple points. First of all, God had a redemptive thing in mind the whole time. But it was still necessary for Ezekiel to speak the word of God. That's right. I don't know what would have happened if Ezekiel said, I'm not going to do it. That's too big a deal for me. I can't speak the word of God to a valley full of dead bones. Let's be obedient to God. Amen. And speak the word of God every... If we speak the word of God, that's the only hope. If we speak the word of God, this nation can live again. Yes. Secondly, I think I already covered it, but Ezekiel had to be obedient. Ezekiel was just human. He had to prophesy and speak. And not just that, he had to obey God. We have to obey God. We can't just say, well, it'll happen. It's automatic if it's meant to be. No! It'll happen if we speak prophesy to the dry, dead bones around us. It'll happen if we're obedient. Then it'll happen. And one last thing, it can only happen by the living Spirit of God. Yeah, Prophesy, breath, everywhere you go. You know, you literally, you literally, like my sweet little wife, if I speak to her, that's my breath coming out. I'm speaking to her, that's literally my breath. And in our breath, if it's full of the Word of God, is the life of God. 